welcome to Conversations About Life. Glenn, thank you and welcome to my podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. My guest today is Glenn Kaiser, and I'm going to kind of let you give a little bit of an overview of yourself. I I know from what I know of you is through the band Resban. Um, I came across a cassette back in the 80s. I don't even remember what the title of it was just off the top of my head, but I listened to it all the time in the car and over and over again. And then um, here um, recently, like not real recently, like, but as I've been raising kids, uh, we came across Resban music <laughs> again, and they got into Resban and they enjoy it. We look you up on YouTube every once in a while, just to, you know, catch an old clip of a concert or something. And I know you do solo work. You've done solo work since then. And you are also a part of a community that is really interesting to me, just what life is like there. But that's what I know of you, Glenn. Um, is there any, um, do you want to just fill it out or give a little bit of an overview of sure. who you are? Sure. Well, thanks. Um, yeah. Resband is, some people know me that way. A lot of people probably. Um, it was a three-piece blues rock group. Matter of fact, we're doing an updated photo shoot tomorrow. Um, there's some requests in uh, what Honduras, Norway, uh, Switzerland. We've done we've done a lot of touring, okay, over a lot of years, and that's a three-piece blues rock group called Glenn Kaiser Band. I I wouldn't have named it that, but the other two guys wouldn't let me get away with it, so uh, couldn't come up with something else. Um, and yeah, I've been doing solo gigs forever. You know, I thought about this yesterday. Uh, I do a lot of interviews, okay, and a lot of Zoom and, you know, various <laughs> podcasting uh, with people all the time. And so I've been asked, you know, a lot of the questions. And if I were to hit highlights and lowlights, uh, grew up in South Central Wisconsin in rural farm country. Dad got very sick out of nowhere, um, worked hard all his life, got sick, three operations, lost it all. Um, ended up uh, really messed up physically. And when he got well, about a year later, after the last operation, he actually started working again, doing road work for a construction company. So we're not talking lazy or goofing off, but we were on welfare for about three, three and a half years. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just about poverty and it, poverty due to sickness uh, through no fault of anybody's. And my mother bummed out because of all of that and moved to the big city, which uh, in this case was Milwaukee, uh, away from South Central Wisconsin. She'd come home every couple of weeks. And I was the third of the kids. My older brother and sister were either gone or fought like cats and dogs. My dad got so bummed out that he ended up working at another job an hour away, long hours. So he'd sometimes be away for most of the week. And uh, very different when I ended up with my mother uh, several years later uh, in West Dallas, working class suburb Milwaukee. Long and the short of it is I was always involved with people older than I was, four or five years, six years older. Um, and I hung out with my own classmates, you know, in, in primary school and middle school and stuff. But uh, my dad 
you know, didn't marry till he was 42. So being the third kid, right, my my dad would be like some folks grandpa in some ways, close to that. Yeah. And um and he hung out with people much older than he was. So I'm going to say that I had the benefit of constantly hearing conversations with people that were quite a bit older than me, but between my dad, but also his friends, um, and had the benefit of living in total rural, conservative Wisconsin farm country, but also ended up in the inner city in an African-American ghetto area called the core, Milwaukee, with my girlfriend, moved in and lived with her for a bit. I think they got me out, they graduated me from high school to get me the heck out of there. Uh, by that time, from the time I was 13 in the city there, up uh, to 18, uh, I was either singing or singing and playing guitar, sometimes bass and drums, but almost always they had me sing. I went through about 16, I started counting them up at one point, about 16 different bands. Music was the deal. Because I was with people older, especially those last several years, uh, four to six years older than me, got introduced. This was hippie days, you know, 60s. Yeah. Um, got introduced to every kind of drug you could do, and the only thing I didn't do was shoot. I didn't, I didn't run needles and heroin, but I did everything else. And we had heroin, you know, smack-dusted uh, marijuana and opiated hash and, you know, whatever, did it all. Uh, horse tranquilizers, you know, who knows? We didn't know half the time what we were swallowing and really became an addict. Uh, and I was that close to shooting up when I became a, a follower of Jesus. And that is a another long story because um, our family had like zip to do with the church or anything to do with spirituality at all. Not my parents, not my brother or sister, nobody I knew, except my grandpa who had died when I was, I think, about five and I remember he would sit in a rocking chair reading his Bible. And uh, he was totally introverted, never talked much, and never said much about the Lord or Scripture or any of that. But uh, I was also about that close to being a hardcore alcoholic. I, you know, look, however I could get loaded, pretty early on in my teen years, I did. And... I don't know if I've ever met anybody who took the entire spice. We had a long spice rack in one of our sort of hippie uh, commune uh, houses. Everybody left. We ran out of grass, hash, and we ran out of MD-2020, which is a cheap rot gut booze. Uh, and the other guys all left. I don't know of anybody else who ever took the – they had a huge spice rack in the kitchen. And I'm all alone. I got nothing but rolling papers. I literally rolled a joint out of every single spice. And here's what I can tell you. The burning point on those babies is horribly high, trashes your throat, and you can't get a buzz off of nothing from the spice rack. So don't even waste your time. When I'm talking about addiction, I mean, I I got to a point where I actually knew I was destroying myself and I couldn't stop. Yeah. Couldn't stop. And I wanted to at that point. Um. At one point, I quit. I was in two bands, two or three, and had two girlfriends at the same time, and I just quit them all. And, uh, you know, I hated myself. I hated life. I, I 
you know, I didn't know anybody that had what I would consider a, a sane, sensible life. Uh, I thought that the American dream was a joke. Uh, I saw people coming back in, you know, in body bags from Vietnam. I had always been a, an activist. Uh, early on, I hunger hike uh, for hungry people in Milwaukee area and uh, anti-war protests. I mean, I never had anything against soldiers and sailors and airmen. It, it, to me, it was the generals and it was the politicians and it was the big corporate, what Eisenhower called the military industrial complex. So what else could I tell you? I've probably been a leftist for about 35 years. Uh, I've been an independent voter most of my life. I don't fit in anybody's paradigm, not right, not left. Um, but I can tell you that the only reason I'm alive is because Jesus absolutely began to heal me and change my life. And where I come from isn't, it's not a sociological thing. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> Man, I, I started studying war when I was in, I probably, I was about eight years old. Every war you can name, particularly the American Civil War, but then World War I, World War II, the Spanish-American War, you know, Franco and the war in Spain, the Korean conflict. I was born in 53, okay? So, I mean, why do people do that? Book of James, where, where, where does war and fighting come from? Doesn't it come from within you and your, in the lusts inside you, you want to have and you, you can't get it, so you rob and kill and destroy? And I mean, I, I look around and I look at history. I was always a serious student of history. I loved history, early as I can remember in school. Spent hours in the school library studying human history. And the history and culture of other countries and other nations. Little did I know I'd end up touring in a lot of those places with Resurrection Band and JKB and solo tours. And probably the last thing I'll say just to open all this is um, I, I've been doing a lot in Cook County Jail for a lot of years. Uh, I'm in a volunteer chaplain there. And also I'm accredited Stateville, which is probably the third nastiest prison in Illinois. I've done zillions of prison concerts and given Bible studies as well uh, all over the Illinois, Ohio, I mean, top to bottom, uh, Alaska, on tours overseas. So prisons in, gosh, Iceland, Norway, Finland. I mean, it's and often I will say, I don't say it every time, I don't have a shtick, you know, when I walk into a, a, a an incarceration facility. So I'm, I'm careful not to just roll out stuff. But I often will say, y'all, the difference between you and me is I got saved and you got caught. And that's just about the only difference. <laughs> the only reason I never ended up getting, getting locked up. Uh, one time they hauled me in. And uh, between that time and two weeks later, when I lied to them in that first encounter with the detectives in, in West Dallas, they knew I was small time dealing and playing around. But I lied to them. Well, I bumped into the same detective two weeks later in my school. And by that time, I'd come to 
begin to follow Jesus. And I saw him and I walked up to him and I said, pardon me. He went, ah, Kaiser, you're the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple weeks ago. He said, what's up? I said, I just want to ask you to forgive me for lying to you. And he looked at me like I had, you know, three heads. <laughs> what? I said, I want, I, I need for you to, look, I've come to know Jesus in the last couple of weeks here. And, um, you know, all those questions you asked me, I lied. I lied, I lied to every, everything you asked me. So I just wanted to say I'm sorry because I read today that I should know I should owe nobody anything except to love them. So anyway, I just want to ask you to forgive me. He went, uh, okay. <laughs> I just, you know, nobody freaked out more than me that I'd come to f have faith in God and, and follow Jesus. So and, uh, you... There you go. <laughs> so how did that happen? How did you come to know Jesus? Well, the very short form, there was one little stint when I would have been about six or so before my family broke up and I ended up in Milwaukee area with my mom, you know, where there was a vacation Bible school. They do them in churches, you know, in the mm -hmm. summertime. And some sweet, rotund, gray-haired ladies came by and said, do you have a kid this age? And they said, yeah. And you know, well, we could pick them up on Saturday and take them to the little church uh, near Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, which is where I was born in Beaver Dam. And they said, yeah, yeah. So I I think I went to about five or six sessions. And all the kids, they had, had us all memorize the scripture. And they gave me John 3.16. And uh, that, that was pretty much that. Um, after my parents divorced, when I was nine. It was absolutely devastating. Just like, you know, it was just devastating to me. And um, I had a friend who was attending a church and doing a Saturday catechism gig, you know, for our age group. He was a classmate of mine. And we played. We hung out all the time. He said, uh, why don't you come up with me? And I'm like, yeah, I, I blew him off, you know, for what? I didn't want to do that. And I guess I was so miserable looking back. I felt so lost and bummed out with my parents, you know, family blown up like it had. So I finally, I finally gave in. And uh, long story short, I didn't last long. Uh, and I actually went to several Sunday services. So that, that was, you're hearing the entire extent of my church life up until I came to follow Jesus when I was 18, just before I turned 18, about two weeks ahead of my 18th birthday. So I go up there and I'll never forget one Sunday I'm sitting and the main sanctuary went this way. It's like an L shape. And there was a shorter one here with pews. And he was giving the kids the kids lesson. And the adults were meeting in other rooms. And I remember looking up at the cross and I heard a lot about Paul and what we would call doctrine, basic teaching from scripture, informational stuff, all good stuff. But I remember sitting there thinking, what about him? Literally, I thought, what about him? I'm not, I don't, what am I doing? What is all this? And I literally got up before the end of the kid's sermon and walked out. And I never went back again until I came to really know him and walk with him in faith. And so all of that influenced the night that uh, 
Well, for several months, the Lord, man, it would take forever, but the Lord showed up when I was stoned, completely ripped, hallucinating. And when I was totally sober, clean, sober, no drug, no drink, no nothing, in so many ways that were like, uh, you know, really, the to, dis, to, to surmise that that was all coincidence, or psychologically, I, I really wanted to open myself to, up to spirituality. No, I didn't. I loved pleasure. I, I loved my girlfriends. I loved uh, dope, sex, and music, and I didn't give a rip about anything else. I didn't know any Christians. I had no... There was nobody influencing me. So, I mean, I'm, I'm like one of those weird people that I'm totally at home in the country, totally at home in the inner city, completely at home in Germany or Iceland or hardcore, frankly, redneck red state. I married a southern girl, <laughs> you know. Um, I've toured most of the world except for the Mideast East. And in uh, Asia, many times, uh, and whether it's people's homes or different churches or dealing with people of other religions or, you know, I do a lot of I blues. I'm a core blues player and have been from really from the beginning in early bands. We did blues, R&B and soul music. So, I mean, I'm like this renaissance guy and I didn't mean to be. It just happened. Right. And I look back and I think to myself. So that night when. I look back on these months of, of really God showing up. I, I mean, just one example. So I smoked a bunch of grass with my buddy. He leaves. I'm in, I'm in one of these upstairs rooms in his house with a black light and some posters, Hendrix posters. And I'm Hendrix or Jeff Beck Truth album, something is on the stereo. And I remember I couldn't move. I mean, I just like so fried. And typically what would happen is I would pass out. Um, I, I could get high real quick. I love hash. And I don't remember what, what I was doing, but I was it wasn't chemicals. It would have had to have been probably hash with that guy. And I remember seeing the classic painting of Jesus on the opposite wall. And I shut my eyes, and I still saw it. And I couldn't move, but I could kind of look with my eyes left and right, and I still saw it. And this went on, it seemed like, for half an hour, okay? And there was no off switch. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? You know, I wasn't reading the Bible. I had nothing, nothing with church. I didn't, I hadn't looked at magazines or heard anything about any Jesus movement or any of that. So I mean, it was just like, so when I was ripped, and when I was completely straight. So this particular night, my my father-in-law died. I'm sorry, my 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 godfather, my uncle. And I could see the hearse in his driveway. They lived not quite kitty corner, one house over. I could see the hearse. That night I had been with uh, a gay friend uh, who uh, was an actor and a female folk singer who, you know, basically platonic, you know, relationship with her. And I didn't bring Jesus or spirituality up. One of them did, and they never did. We never talked about anything like that. I have no idea how the conversation got there, especially with those two. But I sure didn't say anything about it. I looked at the Twilight Zone that night, which was an old black and white Rod Serling, you know, the original guy sells his soul to the devil, 
goes to hell. I mean, that's, that's literally that. I've seen that episode a few times since. It's like, well, we used to turn the TV off, the, the, the volume, and put on Cheech and Chong and, you know, stoner records and laugh at the priest that come on rattling scriptures or the, the pastor or whatever. And then they'd sign the TV stations off back in those days for the night. So we'd laugh and laugh. Well, that night, Twilight Zone ended. The guy comes on quoting scripture, and I'm going like, this is making sense. Why is it making sense? I mean, literally, I'm thinking, this is really weird. So that whole night, and then I see the hearse parked in my uh, my uncle's driveway, my godfather on top of it, and my mother comes in crying. This was her favorite brother, and he and his wife were serious church people, you know, super kind, super nice, always really nice to me. I didn't know them that well, but I knew them well enough. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I should have been dead several times from all the dope I've done. I can't believe we didn't get killed on the highway because either whoever was driving was absolutely shot. They had no idea what planet they were on. And we're zipping around 75, 80 miles an hour on the freeway, absolutely high as can be. Situations where I woke up 30 miles from where I started, have no idea how I got there. Found out later they thought I was dead. So they laid me down in one of their parents' beds. The parents were on vacation. It's one of the bands I was in. They took off. I'm sitting there like I wake up trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Where am I and how did I get here? And they told me, I didn't know this till years later. A rhythm player, rhythm guitarist in that group, he visited us here in Chicago. He goes, you know, you weren't breathing. We thought you were dead. And, of course, they were all stoned. They got out of there. They just split. They thought, you know, you know, cops are going to this. They're going to hit us up for murder or accomplices or something. You know, I mean, I could go on, but this particular night, two weeks prior to this, was the first time I remembered that when I'd done that little vacation in Bible school that that year up in Wisconsin. Everybody got something for memorizing, and they gave me a little New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs and a little baseball bat. looked like a baseball bat. It was a pen. And uh, on this particular night, like two weeks prior to this, out of nowhere, I, I, I don't even know, I think from one of the really bad trips, I'd done all this dope. And I, I remember... Asking my mother, in your junk drawer in your dresser, do you? I still have that little New Testament and Psalms. She looked at me like I'd lost my mind, and I'm like, "Well, do you have it?" Is she? She looked at me. She opened it up, started digging, pulled it out. I said, "Thanks." And she's like, "What is going?" You know, she never, which is so unlike me. And I either read. It would be Mark 13, Luke 21, or Matthew 24. And all three of those chapters deal with the signs of the times right before the Lord returns. And the idea is this generation won't pass when these things happen. Well, however you want to interpret, or however the scholars and folks want to interpret all that, all I know is I read one of those three chapters, freaked out, threw it in my drawer, and that was it. Here's two weeks later in this particular night. 
and the back door slams. My mom had gone back to be with my aunt for the night. And I thought, ah, the paper, cool. I got to get my mind off of this stuff. This is nuts. I literally, on the front page, am seeing everything that I'd been had read. I said, this is familiar. It's like two weeks ago. This is what I just read, and it's right here on the front page. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Uh, raging of the waves of the sea. Tidal wave wipes out all these people. A heart association says heart attacks. Greatest you know, since they've ever kept records. I mean, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Some hippie starts whooping up on a National Guardsman, or maybe it was a cop uh, downtown in a, in a protest. I mean, it's just, I'm like, I, I'm reading all, I'm trying to get to the comics. You know, I'm trying to get get this stuff out of my mind. And I literally just said, uh, it's like, what I would say now is, I you know, I didn't know then, and for a little bit I didn't, the presence of God, the sense of like, this is this is off the charts, and I ain't making this happen. And I'd been straight. I'd been clean and sober for about two weeks. I was white-knuckling it, and it was just like that close before I know I'm going to start, I'm going to drop some acid, I'm going to, you know, get, get get start getting drunk, the whole nine yards, whatever. I said, who are you and what are you trying to say? For God so loved the world that he gave his own, you know, John 3.16. What? And I, I lost it. I mean, it was just like the lights came on. Boom. And that was the beginning. The next nine months, bit about like that, yeah. But my whole life got turned upside down. And, um, well, it's been 50, 52 years later. So believe me, I've, I've considered all the variables, the possibilities, and heard 52 years of atheistic and agnostic concepts of how that you dreamt it up, you wanted it to happen. Well, that's your perspective. Well, it's your social conditioning, yada, 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 yada. All I can say is you might think that, but you weren't there when I was overdosed. You weren't there when I wanted to stop and couldn't. You weren't there in the room. And you weren't floored, literally. I ended up on the floor. I think I cried about half a dozen times, and I, I just I just broke down. I just like, you want garbage? You want dirt on a stick, and I get eternal life? You know how many people I've ripped off? You know how much, how I've used people? And you want me, and I get forgiveness and eternal life because of what Jesus has done? I mean, wow. I would, you're getting ripped off. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make this deal. I literally had that conversation with God. And um, I'm telling you, it was the beginning of an, it just nobody was more shocked than me. Nobody, nobody. My friends, everybody thought I'd drop too much acid, like, I, which I'd been dropping tons of for several years. So, but yeah, it's just such a changed life. And that's the short form, okay? That, that is really, I could go on forever with details. Some things I was thinking of when you while you were sharing that it's just how little things can really matter and you don't know them like when you're doing them i can think of people in my life who um did something like showed some kindness and and they saw at the time no result you know or it, it probably didn't look like it made any significant difference and yet 
yeah. uh, years later that um, I can think of a, a way, you know, one particular example where um, that made Christianity look attractive to me when I was, was at the end of my rope and it, you know, was influential in, for me turning in that direction when uh, I had to turn somewhere. But um, also another thing that came to mind is um, that you, you recognized your need, like you were, you know, but I talked to people and it's um, like the fella I was talking with yesterday, he was a guest on the podcast and he was a young guy. And I, I meet people like this quite a bit. They're so, optimistic about the world. They're into uh, self-help books and their careers going really nicely. Um, they're making changes to themselves and they're, um, and they're just like, they feel like they just got the world by the tail and, and, the, and the gospel, you know, just doesn't even, it just doesn't even hit them or it makes sense or anything um, because they're, everything is so wonderful for them. <laughs> and, you know, I even brought up, you know, um, we're going to crumble apart into dust until we're just actually dust. You know, we're off facing that, but it just, um, seems like, um, they're just so in, um, you know, bulletproof when it, you know, people oh, they're, they're, optimism. Well, you're bulletproof until you're not. Um, yeah. How many mass shootings have there been? How many of those people expected? I mean, if they were involved in a bunch of dope deals. I mean, I remember one time I wrote a song about it called Trouble. Uh, there was a piece on the table, had to split on the double because uh, I was staring at the business end of trouble. You know, hmm. you, you don't have to be in the middle of a dope deal. You can just simply be going to a parade or hanging out in a park or going to a dance or whatever, and some Yahoo comes in and starts unloading. Yeah. How, how many of these have there been in 2020? Here we're talking at the end of, toward the end of January. Mm -hmm. And how many have there been already? So, you know, the, people don't get cancer when they're young. People don't die on the highway on in car crashes. And, come on. I mean, Tell, tell this to people in Ukraine right now. I mean, it's just, there's so many. You haven't spent much time studying history. You stayed away from the news because a lot of it is bad news. Yeah, a lot of it's hype. Yeah, they're in business to make a buck, just like pretty much everybody is, right? No matter what they're doing, what are they in business for? To make money, right? So the news organizations sometimes they'll you know stretch it out and whatever, blah blah blah, puts put their spin on it, and I don't care whether it's left, right, whatever. Yeah, but the reality is, this world is laced with uncertainty, and yeah. whether it's physical illness or quote unquote natural disasters, you know, I mean, come on, where you're sitting as well as where I'm sitting, there was this thing called the New Madrid Fault. Uh, yeah. And there's been talk for years, and who knows, you know, from geologists and earthquake specialists, it may very well happen one of these days. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm living in a 10-story building <laughs> on the second floor, you know. Let's all become a cement sandwich. I mean, it just... 
the, the reality is we right. don't have control. And also the reality is when you're very young, what are you going to, you want to live in depression? Unfortunately, a lot of younger folks do really battle with it. But there are reasons why, and, and not just, you know, biologically uh, or, uh, you know, hereditary stuff or a, a horrible family or whatever. But you're right. When you're young, you're bulletproof. You just, you don't even think twice about it. And, you know, I again, two days ago, up in Lake County, just north of Chicago, four kids out for a drive. Somebody slams right into them. They're all dead that quick. You know, they're just, just driving on a road one minute. And the yeah. next minute, they're all they're all out of here. You know, I mean, this is this is the world that with the real world and the real world isn't so pretty. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't prepared to deal with those issues. And which is why a lot of people in some cases self-medicate. Yeah. It's part of the reason I did it. Right. You know, how do you how do you deal with the pain? How do you deal with the struggles? How do you deal with the inequities of life? You could be the wrong color. I wrote a song called Love Bomb that I'll be doing for some Navajo and other First Nations people down in Albuquerque uh, next month. You might be the wrong color. Yeah, you, you might have the wrong face in, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Losing the human race. I mean, you know, especially white folks and the dominating class. Uh, well, you know, we have options, a lot more options. You know, we talk about equality, but that's, that's hogwash. I've spent way too much time in, in both the city and in rural areas. And let me tell you, if you're the wrong color, things don't just come to you as easily as they do when you look like I do. Um, your life has been full, it seems like, with just a lot. <laughs> so what I'd like to ask you is about making the most of the time. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts about like just making the most of life in each day so that it's full of the best that we can pack into it for yeah. delighting in God and serving him and so well, forth? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, as you're, I'm sure, aware, making the most of the time for the days are evil. Um, very early on, it was what do I have to give in order to gain? And when I came to know Jesus pretty early on in my walk with him and searching scripture and being like Paul says in Romans 12, transformed by the renewing of your mind. In fact, even the word repent, turn away from what, what God in his word, not what the, necessarily what the church says, but what God, and by the way, I'm a pastor as well. So, you know, I look, I know the problems of the church. I've been in it for most of my life now. Uh, they're humans. They're frail. They, we, we, they, we sin, all of us. We don't just make mistakes. So first off, I have to give that for a little background, but so I'm not enamored with any group of people at all. But at the end of the day, what do you have to give and not give to receive? 
but give. What can you bring to the table? It doesn't have to be, look, if you're a good janitor, if, if, you, if you're a good maintenance person, I mean, I admire, I, one of the things I do every day, I'll do it today, is pick up one of my grandkids from school. I love seeing the crossing guards out there. They're, they're usually in Chicago really cheerful. They know most of these kids and their parents. They, they put, literally put their body out there in front of any cars and stuff and whatever. And it's just, you know, oh, well, what do you do? You're, I'm a crossing guard. So, you know, so what? It's fabulous. It's fabulous. I'm so proud of them. I love it. I love seeing them. What do you have? I build cigar box guitars. You, a lot of times one stringers or diddly bows is where Bo Diddley got his stage name. Just inverted it. Diddly bows a one stringer, basically a stick in a box. One I put guitar strings in place slide. And it's real simple. It's perfect for blues. And I, I did it to challenge myself because I knew that's back in the twenties and earlier in the last century, African-American and very poor white people, uh, blues mainly, but sometimes country. That's how they started. You know, they, they had, it's not what you got, it's what you do with it. So what are you doing with it? What abilities, what possible talents, gifts, what can you offer? I mean, anybody can find a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen or a local church's passing out clothing or, you know, whatever. There's a zillion ways that you can serve. I mean, I told you, even before I ever came to saving faith in Jesus, I was involved in what I thought was justice issues. And um, whether it was hungry people or whatever. And so just to, how can I, what do I have to give? What, where can I do it? Or is there, is there an open door for me somewhere we, Resurrection Band, Res Band back in the day, one of our tours, uh, and I actually wrote a song about it and recorded it on one of my earliest solo blues projects, um, Live Your Life for a Change. I don't know who came up with the theme. Could have been my wife, Wendy. She, she and I both fronted that band, trading off lead vocals and stuff. Um, but it's Live Your Life for a Change. You know, what, what, what can I bring that's positive and whether that's involved as a follower of Jesus or what am I doing on this planet? What's the point? Well, the point isn't you. It really isn't. And, it, and it, as, a, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, you have to come to a place where it really is more blessed to give, as Jesus said, than to receive. And yeah. he doesn't give gifts. So you can stare in the mirror and say how gifted I am. It's not about impressing yourself or even impressing anybody else. I love uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's one of many phrases of his that I just love. He said, anyone, I think he said, used the word hero. Any, anyone can be a hero because anyone can serve. You know, I heard, as a matter of fact, one of our one of our pastors at Jesus People in Chicago years ago, Ron said to me, well, to all of us when he was preaching, one of the most simple but profound things, and I, I literally wrote it inside 
one of the last hard copy Bibles. I have a bunch of those, but I mainly do online stuff. And, you know, I'm on my phones and tablets. I got Bibles coming out my ears now, digital. But I wrote it inside the flyleaf of my Bible. He said, if you're willing to serve, you'll never be without work. Huh. You'll never be without a job, you know? Right. I really think when I look back on my life and where my life is at even now today, you know, how should I serve? What can I bring to the table to benefit others? That's the deal. It, it's not about me. You know, I believe my name's literally in the Lamb's Book of Life. I believe that I've been forgiven. I believe that Jesus died for me as well as everybody else. I don't believe everybody's going to follow him and surrender and trust him. But I have, and, and I have seen his faithfulness in my life. You know, given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, people will pour it back into your lap. Trust me, that's a fact. I mean, I'm an example of it, but... My wife and I live in one room. We always have. I don't own a car. I don't. I don't have life insurance. I. We live in a, an intentional community where we were paid in kind. You know, I don't. I don't have the classic American lifestyle. Even the classic Christian American lifestyle. That's not how I live. I've never lived that way. Mm -hmm. I don't do the nine to five, and you know. But I absolutely love the life that God's given me. And, and I have such opportunity to help and to share and to give. And, and I haven't always done it properly or rightly. Um, I don't always do it with any sense of humility. I don't. I, and I, I, you know, I mess up and say, say and do stupid things like everybody, like anybody, you know. I, but, yeah, it's, it's about serving. It's about giving. And I think one of the saddest things to me, that some folks never realize that. Some folks think, well, I don't have to follow Jesus to do that. You're right. And you're wrong. Because there's a there's a there's a sense of God's love that is just beyond human love. And I, I it's it's so hard to you know to verbalize in the English language, but at the end of the day. One of the scriptures that leaps out at me all the time, let love make you, motivate you, stir you to serve one another. And that's what it's about. It's not about, you know, impressing a lot of people. It's not about math, numbers, popularity, none of that. Concerning, so the, you know, like relationships, it seems that um, in the New Testament, like relationships are important for mutual growth. And and I can see in my own life, and I don't even know how it works, that my growth has come about through my interaction with people. You Absolutely. Know? Um, so you have, um, you know, I, I think you, like you founded a community and uh, you probably have a lot of experience with um, 
like relationships. So I, I guess what I want to ask it maybe starting with just a little overview of how that all got started and then what you've learned through it about interacting with one another, engaging with one another in a profitable way for the the growing up into Christ-likeness. And well, what happened was, great question. Um, what happened was, is a couple who came to follow Jesus in the late 60s, early 70s, came to Chicago with a sense that they should start, essentially start a Jesus people church, a, a hippie church of people that follow him really follow Jesus. It wasn't just about culture. Uh, nothing happened. It was They were here for a couple of weeks. Somebody said, the classic, they said, there's a full gospel businessman guy, a car salesman up in Milwaukee, 90 miles north. You might want to go up there. We hear he's friendly with the street Christians, you know, long hairs. So they went up north, and um, sure enough, he put them in an apartment. And within two weeks, it was wall-to-wall, brand-new people who made commitments to follow Jesus. They were around the near the campus, uh, UWM up in Milwaukee, and near Brady Street, which is the hippie district, which I hung out at for several years. And I knew about the community. And after I graduated, I visited their coffee house on occasion uh, for Bible studies and concerts and stuff. Got baptized in Lake Michigan in May with these guys. I made the initial commitment to the Lord the 3rd of January. And um, so anyway, that summer, I graduated high school. And I was up and down. I mean, I, it wasn't a matter of my faith. It was a matter of surrendering. Uh, you know, it's addiction is the gift that keeps on giving until you finally really surrender. And I realized, long, long story, God called me. They're the people, move in. You're done. Quit. End. You know, you don't have to... You don't have to keep living the way you're living. So I moved in. So the origin of the community was actually a Jesus people in Milwaukee. And as time went on, there were teams that were put together by all these young Jesus freaks. And we had like school buses, uh, gas powered, that broke down all the time, by the way. And we'd go out and do concerts and outreach around Lake Michigan and, you know, Midwest. Um, ours was the USA traveling team. And they had one band out of the Jesus People in Milwaukee, and they needed a second one, which became the origin of what became Resurrection Band, Res Band, from my wife and I. And uh, so technically, I'm not the founder. Technically, I joined an active fellowship that was living in community. Well, okay. there was a graduation around the next year in June. Wendy and I got married June 1st. We ended up in Florida. Our team had about 28 people when we left Milwaukee. And the idea was to go back and forth um, in and out of Milwaukee. The, the guy who was in charge there was a really good man. He had cancer. He passed within six months. Nobody stepped up to take the job and to keep things rolling. So unfortunately, the Milwaukee Fellowship was no more. There are three other teams, or you know, ours and two others. So we were in Florida. Uh, over Christmas, we came back up to the Milwaukee area. People in Chicago and around Wisconsin, Michigan, where we had been, churches and different folks that knew us were inviting us to come and do concerts. That's early days with Rez, a Rez band. So we were doing concerts all over in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I mean, everywhere. And we, you know, we all, most of us were from the Midwest. Some were from Florida by that point. 
So we had like a two-week break for Christmas. Then we came back together in Milwaukee. A friend had a huge house. So we hung out there for a couple nights and had worship times and prayer. And People found out we were in the area. And from one place to the next, people kept inviting us, come, 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 come. So we did that. Well, the, the story is the bus broke down in Chicago. And it did. It, but, of course, it broke down all over the place. And we went through several of these buses, you know. Uh, but, it, again, long story short, it became clear that Chicago was where we needed to be. And so many people. And this was the last place, by the way, any of us wanted to be. We went, give us a little farm in the sticks, man. You know, we'll be a bunch of Jesus hippies. And we'll go in and out of some of these crazy cities. You know, that's it. But so we've been here in the inner city since about mm, April of 70, March or April of 73. And, yeah, there's probably around 150 adults and whatever, 50, 60 kids or something at this point. And huge 10-story building we ended up in as time went on, you know, as the community grew. And um, we have one of the largest homeless shelters in the city. Um, and uptown, where we are, is pretty much the last melting pot. So we have African-American folks and Central and South American folks and African immigrants and refugees that have, that have come into the city and we we deal with, I mean, I can get you six kinds of completely different food in restaurants within two blocks, three blocks. So I love it. It's just this broad, you know, cultural situation. And um, I'm sitting in the, a building that has our record label, uh, Gur Records, uh, Everybody's Coffee, which is a fair trade coffee shop that uh, serves breakfast and lunch and stuff as well. Um, that We run that. Uh, across the street in our main building is Citizen Skate, which is a pro skateboard shop. It's a huge skate ramp two blocks away. I mean, it just it goes on and on and on. I mean, there's so much that we're doing in our shelter system between 250 or 300 people a night. By the way, 30 to 35 percent are veterans in our shelter system. And I see about that same, whenever I ask how many of you served in the US military when I'm in prisons all over this country, it's about 30 to 35%. So issues of addiction, issues of homelessness, mental illness, on and on. We're networking with, we've been networking for years with all these people all over the, 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 the city, the county and so on. And I could tell you a zillion stories. So relationships, yeah. Both living in, it's like if everybody in your church literally lived in a couple of huge buildings, ate together, socialized, worshiped. Now, in the last several years, it's probably been five, six years or longer, uh, we stopped doing a classic church service. And there are a lot of churches in the area. And so our folks who are part of the community who live full time, and are involved in all this ministry and all this mission, do attend all these different churches. So we are a massive hodgepodge of age, cultures. One of my best buddies is a goth. I mean, full on, he and his wife are the real deal. Uh, African-American friends who serve in, in, in the community for years. We're all over the map. You know, we're, we're all over the map. We're dealing with refugee people. Uh, we regularly uh, house, at least temporarily, until they're able to get on their feet and help people get a job, help them get into an apartment, 
and stay in relation with them. So it's like salt and light. It's interaction with people throughout the neighborhood. Um, there's a block party at a predominantly Asian area on Argyle, which is about six blocks. They've had me play up there about three times. They have a couple of two or three uh, music groups per night when they have a two-block-long a two block long block party. So they have a PA out there and a stage and a whole bit. So I go up there, and I'm doing gospel blues. I mean, it's just, you know, so yeah, sure, yeah. You learn how to listen. Um, you learn how to be patient. Um, you learn how to ask forgiveness when you've blown it or hurt somebody's feelings. Um, as I said earlier, I, we don't just make mistakes, we sin. I, there are times when, you know, I make decisions and jump a fence here or there in some area. I don't care whether it's being grouchy or a judgment call or whatever it might be. You know, I'm, I'm not even talking in terms of leadership or being a pastor. I'm talking about as just a person, a human being. So forgiveness Grace, which means unmerited favor, unearned, unearnable. Ooh, we like to talk about that as Christians, but we don't like to extend it so much because it costs us usually, right? Mm -hmm. um, commitment, not because we're all on the exact same page. And I'm talking whether we even interpret certain scripture exactly the same. When has that ever happened? I mean, when I read the letters of the New Testament and the book of Acts, it's pretty obvious that never happened. The desire for God and the call is to unity, but not yeah. uniformity. Uh -huh. And because we're all in different places in terms of spiritual and even, you know, human maturity, you know, not everybody knows the same stuff. And then that humility factor, relationally, relationships, huge. Uh, if any man thinks he knows, he knows not yet as he ought to know. Paul wrote. I mean, it, that issue of one another, I think it's something like, a. I think the last I saw something like 111 times in the New Testament, that concept of one another comes up. So, Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another. You know, it goes on and on. Yeah. And... I've been realizing lately just how dear to Paul's heart is um, unity. You know, I, I think we were just reading in Philippians, you know, like um, strive for unity, but that's just repeated over and over again in his letters. You, you know, you were saying unity, not uniformity. Um, and, um, and it does seem like there's a difference there, because, like the uniformity uh, he's talking. Um, to our, we were just reading Philippians and toward the end, it's like, if any of you don't believe this way, um, just hold on to, God will reveal it to you. Just hold on to what you got. So he's pretty soft on people who don't agree. But then just a few verses later, he's pretty hard on those who are like fleshly and so forth. Um, but is there is there a time to divide? Um, like what is this that Paul is what you know what is this unity uh, when we're all different and um is it no matter what or or just what are your thoughts about that well of course it's not no matter what um okay 
look, when a, when a, when a, when a wife is being beaten mm-hmm. by her husband or when a partner is beating a partner, uh, we see it in, in this neighborhood, you know, domestic violence. It's a time to go, whoa, 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 you know, and to pick up the phone. Um, so sure, there are times when a person continually, I mean, habitually, continually, it's not just the reputation or gossip or something, but they, before a lot of folks and folks that don't necessarily dislike them or have an ax to grind with them personally, when everybody's going, wow, you know, this person is continuously contentious. Continu- all they want to do is argue uh-huh. and argue loudly and on the edge of violently. There's a time to warn somebody and to say, you know, I don't know if this is a good place for you to be. Yeah. You know, if you're going to continue living like this, you don't have the right, the right to live with all these folks influencing. We've got kids, you know, uh, elderly folks. We've got folks that are on the uh, spectrum, uh, autism and so on. Mm-hmm. We've got all kinds of people that have been hurt and ripped off. Um, they've gone through violence and abuse. We Name it, right? We've seen it. And after, after 52 years of living this way, I guarantee you, yeah, from day one. So, yeah, there's a time to go, whoa, 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 whoa. And so people warn people at times yeah, and have to. And sometimes we have to say, this, this isn't working. Uh-huh. This isn't working. And we'll often give people two or three strikes, but there is finally a time where we're going to say, uh-uh, we just can't do this. And we'll help people as much as they'll allow and as much as we're able to. We can't give people the moon, but we can help people relocate. And you know, we network with so many ministries and uh, various places. I mean, some people need hardcore drug rehabs. I mean, that's just the truth. Yeah. Um so we've dealt with all kinds of people in all kinds of situations where it's a judgment call. There's no one size fits all. It's, it's really trying to be sensitive. One of our sayings way back when was, was occasionally still is, everybody has their own story. And then there is the story that wise but gracious people around you when they're all pretty much on the same page of the way you're acting and the way you treat others, hmm. you know, that's, that's reality. And that's mm-hmm. true, but toward me or toward anybody else. So, so learning how to be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger because our anger doesn't work the righteousness of God. There's a point in time where we have to say, uh, so yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. The scriptures talk about this. I mean, you know, don't even eat with such a person. There's some pretty rocking stuff in the New Testament letters. And yeah. Of course, we like to, ah, you know, we love the, we, you know, one size fits all, but not everybody wants Jesus to size them up and to change their life. You know, one of the things that we did way back in the Jesus movement, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday, and I still do it. But we regularly told people, not, not just speaking to a crowd, but one-on-one, look, if you follow Jesus, he's going to change your life. I'm not talking about the church. I'm not talking about culture, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person of Jesus Christ. 
the real crucified risen Jesus Christ. If you enter into an honest and genuine relationship with him, he's going to change your life. And if you like things as they are and you don't want your boat rocked, you don't want to follow Jesus. That's just the truth. See, sometimes we're so concerned about making a sale, as it were, some sort of spiritual beachhead in a person's life or whatever, or so we can feel good about ourselves as, as ministry or something or church. That's a waste. I would rather deal with the integrity factor all day long, no matter what it costs. So, you know, when people would criticize the church early on, I'm like, yeah, when they were right, when what they said was true, being on the inside and knowing what I know, traveling the, the country and the world, not just any one form or kind of church, brand or something, I would say, you're right. That, that's true. That's a, that's a solid critique right there. Yeah. Well, what are you doing about it? And I could usually answer that question honestly. Sometimes I'd say, not as much as I wish we were, but I can tell you that we're working on it. So now that we've turned the tables, you want to talk about you? And if you don't, that's cool. I mean, you know, basically it's like, okay, whoop, now I don't have to deal with me and where I'm at with God. And so that becomes a game that any of us can play, that any of us can play. And it's something that I try to avoid. So I, I've, I've tried to be straight up with people. You know, I, I'm not going to pretend that crosses don't exist in the community or in relationship to Jesus. He said, if anyone would come after me, would follow me, they must. They must. It's not an option. Deny themselves. Oh, that's that. Boy, that'll pack the seats, right? That'll help. That'll put money in the plate. Deny themselves. Pick up their cross. That's a long story. That's a big, wide thing. Not the same for everybody, but and follow me. That's Jesus. What? What's? What's it matter? You gain your life or try to hang on to your own life. He said you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, the gospel, you're going to find it. That's been my experience. By the way, both sides of that. Because <laughs> I know what it's like to be destructive and to share your destruction with others. Now, with me, it was a bit more blatant than it is for some. Yeah. Um. Point so blank. Yeah. God has ministered balance, a certain amount of wisdom and maturity in my life through relationships with wise and godly people from the earliest days of, of living in community, tight with all these other people, from my 18th year till today. I can credit so many people for things, the massive things, the deep things, the the ongoing, this is as solid as granite, as stuff, you know, that I've learned. Oh, it's it's all relationship. It's all, it's not just information. You know, you can go online and get all kinds yeah. of information and not have a relationship with anybody. Um, right. That's not what I'm, but I've seen them live what they've said. And I've seen the very negative and the very positive as a result of these relationships 
all that has benefited me oh, to the max. And I'm thinking, you know, it's if you're not living, like if you're living with people, you see them as they are, and there's a benefit to that, and then people can kind of like step into your life and say, hey, you know, have you considered this or look at that? And they can be more hands-on. Now, if you're more of the uh, Christian who lives in their own house and they don't, I'm trying to think how to make the most of that. And like one thought that comes to mind is to try to be as blatantly honest as you can rather than um, like if you have a, a facade people are not going to be as beneficial to you as if you can just maybe just purposely spit it out there so that people can know you uh, a little better. I'm I'm just trying to think of like, you know, how can um, this take place when we're not like sharing the kitchen and, and um, sharing the van and stuff like that, but we still want that engagement so that people can, correct us when we need correcting and encourage us when we need correct encouragement and so forth. And, um, okay. I don't well, know. Uh, well, let me just, I, I'll give a cut to the chase. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians have different thoughts about 12 step meetings and, you know, recovery yeah. groups. Mm-hmm. I've seen the joke, the, the kind of the joker in the deck groups, but I've also visited and participated and even led, uh, 12 step recovery groups. Okay. And boy, they sometimes they are head and heels more honest and straight up about their flaws, their needs, and their issues in those group meetings than most Christians in the traditional church or even hip and groovy house church. They don't all go. They don't all go that deep, that quick. And mm-hmm. of course, not all these people follow Jesus. Not all these people believe that there is a another actual person who is God, you know, divinity. And yet there's that level of honesty and integrity to where they're able to come to some healing and some, some real deliverance from their, whatever the addiction is and or addictions are. Uh, I would say the same absolutely applies in traditional church. And if you put a gun to my head, I would say the best form, form I don't think form answers character. Form does not, it can help, it can hinder, but it's not synonymous with inner character and uh, confession, repentance, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, uh, brutal honesty, even one-on-one, much less with a group. But I would say a small group done right. And we could go on with what, what does done right mean. Do we even all agree on what that means? I don't know. Probably sometimes, yeah, and sometimes no. But that kind of confession and integrity uh, – Pray for one another. Confess your sins. Your amplified renders it false and moral slips. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And woe to the one who's alone when they fall. Back in Proverbs, right? Uh, Because they don't have another to help lift them up. And so being tight with one, two, three other, in your case and mine, brothers, married couples to married couples, ladies to ladies, you know, and one-on-one in groups. If you have those sorts of stretcher bearers, those kind of soulmates, those kind of we're going to walk this walk together, you know, whether you live in intentional community like I do, 
or whether you do a traditional church kind of a thing, you know, you're there for an hour, 90 minutes on Sunday or whatever it is. You do have to have at least another meeting or so on some regular basis, whether it's mm-hmm. weekly or biweekly or something. But I think the good changes can and will happen. But you have to be willing to deal with the real issues. And by the way, let me also add this. We have had people living in this community with us, sometimes for 10 years, and as wise and as discerning and as much experience as people have had in leadership, and etc., come to find out in several cases that large portions, if not 90%, of their whole story and testimony was absolutely a lie, completely fabricated. Huh. And I'm not going to go down to the list, but I could, you know, and I'd never name names publicly, but there are some people who you just like. One guy was supposedly a roadie with the Rolling Stones. He, I mean, he looked and sounded English the whole night, right? I won't go into it all, but turned out he was, his, he, you know, he didn't have an English name. He had a Polish name, and he was from Indiana. <laughs> He had nothing to do with bands his whole life. Nothing. Zero. Zip. He was never a roadie with anybody. I mean, so there are situations like this where you go, we were praying for a long time for a kid had a, that somebody had out of wedlock till his parents visited, and they were in a prayer meeting, and somebody prayed for the kid. And his parents, you know, like, what? And and they were committed Christians. And supposedly this guy and his wife were here, and they lived with us for years, served here for years. There was no kid. It never happened. Why do people do that? I don't know. I have a lot of reasons, I guess, but people make stuff up, lie, I want attention, uh, you know, sounds good, uh, got caught in a lie. or <sighs> So you, you, and then throw in a little biological mental illness, you know, or some, some level of, you know, autism or whatever, you know what I mean? However you want to slice the bread, and all of a sudden you're going, this gets real interesting. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I haven't heard it all and seen it all, but I've seen I've seen and heard it most. <laughs> so I just want to be clear that the form of, of community does not answer the deeper issues of honesty, of, con- of integrity and of confession, or of real, honest and intimate relationship with others. It yeah. just, you right. know. Yeah. That's good. So when it comes to just how you live your life, um, do you have rituals or routines that are meaningful to you that help structure your days? Or are you more kind of just a free spirit type of approach or just (laughs) what works good for you? Well, I'm a little on the free spirit side, but not entirely. Uh, I, again, if you've if somebody is watching, listening to this after all this time, you already know I'm kind of a renaissance, what some people might say, kind of a renaissance man. I discovered the Celtic Church many years ago. Uh, I have been involved in what would be called high church, more liturgical, uh, Anglican, uh, Lutheran, Catholic. I went to Catholic Mass six nights a week after I came to know Jesus. Two of the three priests, I'm convinced, really knew the Lord. Did I agree with them on every doctrine of the church? 
or even that local parish? No. And that local parish, uh, after Vatican II, began to modernize in a lot of ways uh, that would have been anathema and actually was anathema to one of the old priests that was there, you know. They had a group of uh, of uh, nuns, and I'd see 15 to 18 of them every night. Why did I attend church there? Because it was within walking distance, because the nuns were as sweet as could be to me. Nobody cared that I had long hair or walked in barefoot. I was always clean. I was never a dirty hippie, but I was I was a hippie. And but they they and the, the, the two of the three priests and the one in particular were huge at being loving and kind. Did they all believe as I believed in everything? No. And uh, there was one night of the week I couldn't attend because what was going on in that particular service, as far as I was concerned then and now, was just bogus and not scriptural, right? Then there was a midweek Bible study at a Baptist group, probably some of the more right-on teaching. And then there was a Sunday night independent Pentecostal church where the teaching was downright wiggy at times, okay? But, But tons of young kids, younger folks, Jesus people and stuff, and the songs, the worship portion was just amazing on Sunday nights. I did all three. Now, that was my earlier commitment before I moved into the community up in Milwaukee, right? So, and then the community in Milwaukee dealt with Lutherans, Baptists, Pentecostals. Heck, we had some friends, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, I mean, Catholics, Charismatics, go, you know, go nuts, right? Lutherans, everybody all over the map. Methodist, uh, Salvation Army. Uh, we were in, in house churches and people that were doing ministry out of their farmhouse, you know, a bunch of kids coming coming on weeknights or Saturdays. So it went on and on and on, right? And so from day one, the church is bigger than any one group. Mm-hmm. So my influences are all over the map. I get about six very different uh, emailed devotionals a day. I use a 12-step devotional almost every single day uh, that's very, uh, actually out of a Lutheran uh, church uh, pastor who uh, wrote the best recovery book I ever read, and I've read a pile of them. Um, And then I do um, a lot of personal online Bible study, and at night uh, it's my habit to read from about, oh, this is not a spiritual discipline, but it, I, I, I read from about a dozen to 14 very broad worldwide news sources. Uh, and then I, I also spend a, a fair bit of time in scripture. And I usually spend time on three or four different sites looking at the Greek and the Hebrew uh, words and context. And then I go clean back to people like Tozer and Fenelon and the Spurgeon and, you know, the old school uh, writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I read, you know, C.S. Lewis, of course. It's just broad, broad, broad. So my daily, my daily routine pretty much includes everything I've just named. I don't always pray uh, from comp- compliance, which is, Celtic Church Compliance, which is out of the Northumbrian community uh, uh, in England. But I do sometimes. And (laughs) very broad, okay? Very, very broad. Corey Ten Boom at one point talked about eating the meat and spitting out the bones. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I, at the present time, I, each I, has we have impart, Paul writes. And in the same chapter, he writes, now at the present time, I have impart, we have in part partial knowledge, partial revelation, partial understanding. How interesting that he says both of those things in the quintessential chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13, what love is and what love isn't. Mm -hmm. So for me, these disciplines daily are huge. Hmm. They're massive. I also yeah. lift dumbbells. I do it every day, so I, I'm a little light on what I do, but I do, I do enough that I feel it, and I'm always hurting a little bit. Yeah. Um, I try to do a fair bit of walking. And I often do a fair bit of walking and love being in the woods and love being outside when I can. So what I look for in my own life is balance. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very comfortable being totally alone in complete silence in prayer. Um, technically, I'm Pentecostal. Technically. That is to say, I, I believe in praying in tongues and I do pretty much every day. In my mm -hmm. personal, you know, prayer life, but of course, praying English, and but I'm constantly in the Word. I mean, it's the Scripture, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. The Word of God isn't between my ears. It's it really comes from from those words, and and so my my life is permeated really on a daily basis with what I've just told you. Um, I want to honor Jesus in my personal life, in what I do publicly, uh, podcasts, interviews, whatever. You know, when I'm on a stage, absolutely before I get on it and when I get off of it. Um, just a, kind of a couple things just for kind of wrapping up is, um, you know, is there anything in particular that's going on in your spiritual life now? Just anything in particular that comes to mind about the way God is shaping you or growing you? And then also just anything that you, you know, you feel like is a message for the Christian church today need that they need to hear or something along those lines. You know, I blog like a maniac. Okay. Okay. And I've got several different blogs. One is on it. It's Glenn Kaiser on worship. Okay. Uh, at at WordPress.com. Another is GK Arts with an S. GK okay. My main one is GlennKaiser.com or GKaiser.wordpress.com. And there's a bunch of other sites, okay? And I'm up in Facebook and blah, blah. So as I was driving back home, from dropping my daughter, my youngest daughter, off at work today, snowing in Chicago. And my brain immediately went to this analogy of driving. And so I'm not finished with it yet, but I'll probably put it up. It may be a few days because I've got a couple of other posts I want to put up ahead of that. But I'm thinking about to answer both of your questions with this. Somewhere between it's time to speak out 
and know that I'm probably going to poke somebody's nose by saying these things or singing these lyrics, whatever. And there's a time to be silent. Ecclesiastes, there's time to speak and a time to refrain from speaking. Well, of course, as much as I talk, I guarantee you I've blown it plenty with my words throughout my life. And I expect I'll continue to until the Lord takes me home, okay? And I don't want to, but that's the reality. So I apologize a lot, too, and I, as I should, as I need to. My own life. I'm driving along, and I'm thinking, bit of snow on the ground. Some people's experience is very different than mine, but we move over for each other. I see other people move over for me on these narrower streets, some of the streets I take. And um, because of the snow, people are more careful, as they should be. Oh, there are people that are nuts. They drive crazy. And the, the blog title that I think I'm probably going to use, and once I'm finished and writing it, it's a, it's a basic synopsis of share the road. That is really difficult because of the political polemics, because of propaganda, because of deep personal convictions, the sense of loss of control or the fear of losing it, the sense of wanting justice to gain control. And I'm not just talking politically, I'm talking economically, which of course is affected by politics and the economy and all the rest. But even in the church, in churches, and I don't care what form of church, do I speak up? Do I, do I remain silent? What do I do? I should always pray and intercede. I should always seek God and seek him in his word and try to get a handle on what's going on. Do I have to speak out on everything? Are there times to be quiet and just to pray? Are there times to hold my convictions tight, not to guard myself or protect myself, but because I'm afraid others may be hurt? Uh, one of the 12 steps became willing to make amends. This is people that you've wronged. Being willing to make amends to them all except when it would hurt them or others. That's an interesting. Mm. Now, is that, a, is that a backdoor clause to, to bail on responsibility and, you know, the conviction of my own sins, my own stupidity, where I've hurt others? You can, you can go that way with it. I don't believe that's the point. I don't think mm -hmm. that's the way the Lord would have me go with that. But thinking about the welfare of others, not just for yourself, whether somebody else is in your car or not, sharing the road. Whether it's inside the church, capital C, or the smaller, the local churches or the local, whether you meet with five guys in a pub, whatever, whatever your version of linking up with other Christians as a believer, as a complete agnostic or atheist. You know, however you want to slice the bread here. How willing are you to share the road? Can you be kind and gracious? Grace, unmerited favor. That is the literal gut core meaning definition of that term grace that's used in the scripture. Hmm. Unearned. Mm -hmm. They don't merit it. Kindness, space, room. I got the right of way. 
the law says I got the right of way. I ain't moving up. You're going to move. Oh. I see so many collisions, literal, in the street and otherwise. Because now we have bikes and skateboards and electric scooters. And I love it all, by the way. I happen to think it's great. Been to Holland many times, toured all over Holland. And everybody rides a bike. They have their own bike lanes. But even they have to be careful of one another. Sharing the road. That's a huge issue in life. And I think probably it's right now way up at the top of my personal list. And I've been not like I haven't thought about it for years and tried to apply it. I do. I have. This is not new to me. But it is, you ask me right now what's going on. Well, that's what's going on. So I'll, I'll put that blog up in a bit because I want to stir people to think you have to live not merely with yourself and God in mind, not merely with yourself and your spouse, kids, family, close friends, immediate neighbors who you like and get along with, but with a lot of people you would never you wish to God they'd never moved in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. People that you don't like, that you're afraid of, they're demonized. Uh, maybe they're carrying. Maybe they didn't vote like you voted, and they're not going to vote like you vote ever. Are you willing to share the road? Well, if you're going to get on the road, you're going to have to learn. If you're going to be on the road, you're going to have to learn. No matter if you're going to cross the street, you don't even have to drive. <laughs> you just cross the street, man. You better pay attention. And you better be willing to give. And I just think sometimes people are so determined, whether it's pride or the complete opposite insecurity or fear or, you know, yeah, but slippery slope. You know, you can paint yourself into a really small corner. Now, to be blunt, as an evangelist, as a missionary, basically, throughout my life, that calling, calling and gifting in terms of sharing the good news, but being hopefully an example of the good news, what does it mean to be gracious? Oh, that's you're being tolerant of demons and filth, you know. I was demons and filth back in the day, Bubba. God's in the business of redeeming people like that. And he's either going to do it through you or he's going to do it in spite of you. He's going to have to work around you or he's going to call somebody else to belly up with these folks. That doesn't mean I have to get in bed with them. That doesn't mean I have to get high with them. That doesn't mean I have to use the same language they use. That doesn't mean I agree with them on any number of issues. So sometimes I find the, the lack of, 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 of compassion and, and wisdom. So one of the things I bring up all the time, and I'll finish with this. If you believe that there's a God, you believe that God in Christ reveals him. The Father, Son, the Spirit are one. And you, and you believe that he loves you. Right now, regardless of what's going down. And there may be a bunch of stuff in your life that needs to go bye-bye, all right? That he doesn't agree with. 
you're violating scripture here, there, whatever. And there have been times when you've done that, whether you know it or not, whether you're humble enough to admit it or not, whether you know the scriptures well enough or know God well enough to face up to it. So what I've been saying for some time now in some of my blogs, I've mentioned this a few times. Does God always agree with you? Does he love you? Does he both love you and flamingly disagree with you in certain areas of the way you think and the way you do and the choices that you make? Well, you better learn how to be that gracious to others. Huh. <laughs> I can't. I don't find any. I don't find any way to blow off that kind of thinking. If you're going mm -hmm. to be a mature Christian, I don't mean you know. Me and Putin aren't exactly like that. Okay, you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are people that I vehemently disagree with that I think are demonized and crazy, and there's no way, right? But as long as these people breathe. If God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, how should I? Why should I? Yep. I want to be more like Jesus. Thanks, Glenn. I want to be more like him. Being more like myself. <laughs> it was myself that but destroyed me. Okay? Yeah. Well, thank you very much for the conversation. It's been really good. And... Uh, just so thank you very much. Thanks a lot.